Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Kendrick. I'm the lead pastor here at Calvary Church, and just want to start off by saying good morning. And then I'll follow it up with, we're going to be continuing our study this new year as we begin to look at the church. I told you last week we're going to spend three weeks in it. Last week was week one. This is week two. So here we go. Last week we talked about why you need the church. This morning we're going to talk about why the church needs you. But before I go any further, I just want to do some theology confirmation here. When I say the church needs you, I'm not talking about the big C universal church that somehow if you don't participate in church, God's plan for the church is going to crumble and fall. We're not talking about big C church, we're talking about little C church. Right? We're talking about your local body of believers, we're talking about people here that we need you. So when I say the church needs you, I'm talking about the local church, little C, it's up there. I went through great pains to make sure that formatting worked. Little C, right, little C. And we're talking about this, right? The church needs you to function as the church was designed by God, right? The church needs you so we can efficiently and effectively accomplish our mission, the mission that, that God has given the bride of Christ, the mission that God has given the church. And we have a big mission, right? We, first, we have to lead people to worship. We have to worship together. We have to disciple believers we have to evangelize non-believers. We have to evangelize and not just in our community, but in the entire world. And in each of those three things, worship and discipling and evangelizing, there are so many things that go into each one of those. There are a ton of things. There's a lot of work that we need to do, right? From being strategic in our mission to being spontaneous in our mission, right? Being spontaneous in the ministries that God has given us that sometimes pop up. Maybe from sharing around a coffee table with just one or two people to preaching to thousands of people. We have to pray with and for people, and then we have to sing with people in corporate worship. We, have to, we go from bearing burdens to celebrating births, from fellowship with saints to ministering to the lost. There's a lot to do right, in our mission as the church, and we can go on and on and on about all of these responsibilities. Right? There's a lot of things that we can talk about for the church and the things that we have to accomplish. And when we start to start thinking about those things and all the things that the church is supposed to do, sometimes we take that internally and we say, well, I'm part of the church, so am I supposed to do all of these things? And we start to become overwhelmed. We start to get overwhelmed by all the things that we need to do. Do you ever feel like that when you look at the church? I can tell you I do. Right? I can tell you that as I start looking at the ministries, I read through scripture, and I say, man, this is what the church did. And God says, hey, guess what? You're a part of the church. And guess what you're supposed to do? And I'm like, all of these things? And it starts to wear on me emotionally. It starts to wear on me spiritually. It starts to wear on me physically. It starts to drain me. Do you ever feel like that when you think about the mission of the church, what you're supposed to do? And what happens to all of us is we become paralyzed by fear. We become paralyzed by analyzation is what they call so we spend so much time thinking about okay let's plan out how we're going to do all this and we really don't do anything we just start analyzing and we do nothing or maybe we get overwhelmed by the incredible amount of things that we need to do the incredible burden just just overwhelms us and just burdens us to the ground but some of us are shocked because when we look around the church and we see the incredible differences right of the people in the church we look around and say all these weirdos are supposed to do something for the glory of God, right? Like that ain't gonna happen. 
We can't do that. When we look around, like, I don't know how we're supposed to form a team. At least, like, sports teams can cut people. We just take what God gives us, and we form a team. And God says, with this team, I am going to change the world. And we say, oh, man. And we start to get overwhelmed by that thought. So what most people end up do is we end up doing nothing. Right? We just end up sitting back doing nothing. And so this morning, I want to spend some time looking at how Paul encourages the early church in Rome, which was dealing with much of these same things, right? We've got these Jews and these Gentiles, people that don't like each other, and God says, hey, come together and make my glory known to everybody around you. And they looked around and said, we, we can't do that. So we're going to look at some of these words of encouragement that Paul gives the church. So go ahead and open your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans. Turn with me to Romans. Okay, so Romans, just bear with me. Romans is a theological deep, deep book, right? I think there's some of these things that Peter was referring to when he's like, I don't know what Paul's talking about either, right? And I think there's some of these things. I'm going to try and summarize these first 11 chapters for you in just a few sentences, right? Paul provides this wonderful doctrinal foundations for our justification in Christ, right? Our sanctification through the Holy Spirit and our glorification for all of eternity. Let me just break those down for you real quick. Those are some big church words that describe the process of salvation. So when we talk about justification, we're talking about when we put our faith in Christ, when we began to understand that he is our savior, and that's when we were saved. That's the beginning of our salvation. Sanctification is when we're being transformed by the Holy Spirit, and that is how we are being saved. Glorification is when we are in heaven and we reflect his glory for all of eternity. So that's when our salvation is perfected or when our salvation is completed. There are some people that walk around and act like they are glorified right now. That is not true. This side of heaven, nobody is glorified. That is something that comes when we are standing before our Savior. Then we get into chapter 12, and this is where Paul begins with the application of this salvation that God provided for each believer. And in verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so when we hear those verses, we are told to uh, think about the salvation that God provides. And Paul here, he calls all the believers that have been saved by God, that's all believers, to consider that salvation. That should lead every believer to do two things, right? We should be totally committed to God. And when we are totally committed to God, there is two things that we should do. The first thing is we should present our bodies as living sacrifices. And this is our act of worship. This is how we worship God in spirit and truth, which Jesus talks about. This is where we worship God with everything that we are. Every single thing that we are, we use it to worship God. Everything we do, we use it to worship God. This is with our entire lives. Not just on a Sunday morning. Not just like during one of our quiet times. Like, oh, I'm going to take this 10 minutes out and just give God everything I have for 10 minutes. Not for a few seconds before meals. But we are told because, because of his salvation, we are to be totally committed our entire lives to worshiping God. And then the second thing is that we are to yield. And when I say yield, I'm not talking about 
the, this simple display, but to passionately pursue obedience to God's commands. Right, that we see God's commands and, and we don't say, oh, I feel like doing that today or I don't. We say, no, 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 this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to find these commands of God and I'm going to follow them. Right, as Christians, we are not only to be a, a model of obedience to the world, but we are to be a model of obedience to other believers to encourage them. Right, when they're going through tough times, they can look and see other people that obeyed God and saw that his will was good, acceptable, and perfect. And we, through our obedience, we can encourage others. And according to verse 2, when we do this, we will discover how good and delightful it is to live according to God's purpose. Right? When we live for God, we will see how awesome it is. But too often when we read this passage, that's where we stop. For some reason, because maybe because our books have a title for the next thing, we we memorize one and two, and then we go on and look at something else, or we, we don't connect them. But here's the problem. When we look at verse 3, verse 3 begins with four, right? F-O-R, which ties the next verses, ties the next thought to those first two that we just talked about. And in this next passage that we're going to read, beginning in verse 3, in light of God's salvation, it's only logical that our worship leads us to contribute to the mission of God's church, right? That we contribute to the mission of his body. And in the following passage, Paul gives three pieces of advice to Christians on how they can best contribute to the mission of the church with the gifts that he gave them. So go ahead, we're going to read this entire passage. We're going to read from verse 3 through 8, and then we're going to go through it slowly after this. Beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to his measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So for the next few minutes, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to go through this section by section. We're going to look at these three things, these three truths that Paul teaches us to be effective in helping the church accomplish the mission that God designed it for. So first, the very first thing we're going to look at is Paul encourages us, right, encourages the church to know that you are important to the body. That's the very first thing he says. You are important to the body. This should be no surprise because God designed you for his body. Let's look at verse 3 again. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned you. And as we read this passage, it is clear by the overtone, it is clear by the words that Paul was clearly thinking of those who think too highly of themselves. Right? That you are thinking too much that you're not as good as you say you are. That's basically what he's saying. So calm down. And this seems to be a common problem. We had it 2,000 years ago. We have it today. But however, as I talk with people and as I look at my own heart, I find myself and many others, uh, maybe some of you this morning, we need to take notice of Paul's command in verse 3 to think 
with somber judgment. To think of ourselves, to think of our skills with somber judgment. Maybe you're thinking too lowly of yourself. Some of you have been selling yourself short for a long time about what God has designed you to do. Right? You've depreciated yourself. You say, I got nothing to offer. There's nothing good that I can do. You argue that you have nothing to offer the body. That God didn't give you any gifts. That God didn't make you useful to his body. Or maybe what he did give you just isn't good enough. And trust me, I understand those thoughts. I wrestle with those thoughts all the time. And oftentimes I look around and I see where God has put me and I think, man, God, either I messed up or you messed up, but I don't know if I should be here right now. I don't know how I contribute in any way to what is going on, so one of us messed up. But here's the truth. Right, when we look through Scripture and we know who God is, he designed you perfectly. He didn't mess up. He didn't randomly design you by rolling dice and say, hey, we're going to do this, or hey, we're going to do this. He didn't play Mr. Potato Head with you with the pieces that were left over around the table. He carefully and wonderfully knit you together. Right? He thoughtfully and intentionally designed every part about you. Right? He gave you your emotions. He gave you your personality. He designed all of those things to fit perfectly in his church. God has placed every member in the body as he desires without any mistake. God uses the combination of our heart and our abilities and our personality and our spiritual gifts, our experiences in life. He uses all of those things and fits us perfectly in his church to accomplish his mission. The, the truth is, you don't have the same calling as other people. Right? You don't have the same things. Uh, some ministry positions are more visible. But that doesn't make them more important. Maybe you look at your gift or your area of service and you think that you are insignificant. Right? Maybe it's not a high visibility, so you think, oh, it's not important. You're wrong. Whatever ministry, however God designed you, is extremely important to the functioning of this church right now. You are a valuable part of a team that needs you. I want you to think of a football team. And when you think of football teams, who do you think of? You think of quarterbacks? I see Dustin, he's like, I don't think about football at all. <laughs> right, but you think of quarterbacks, you think of wide receivers, you think of running backs, you think of like defensive linemen who run in and smash the quarterback, because that's like really exciting. Right, today Stafford's going to get crushed by the Niners, go Niners. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. I was grateful that nobody had a Rams jersey today because I didn't want to judge you. But um, come from the Bay Area, I like the Niners. Right, but these, those, are, those are important positions, right? The quarterbacks, the skilled positions they sometimes call them. And then we got the leftover positions, right? The linemen, right? Nobody ever cares about the linemen, right? They don't really do anything. They don't score touchdowns. They don't even get a seat at the table at the post-game conference, it's like, hey, game over, go take a shower. We're going to talk to these other people. But check this out. There's an offensive lineman who is the third or fourth highest paid player on the team. Right? And if you don't follow sports, if you get paid a lot of money, that means you're important. Right? And there's 54 players on a team. And if you're the third or fourth highest paid player, that means you're pretty important. Right? Anybody know what that position is? I saw some people nod heads. Left tackle. You know, why is the left tackle important? Because he protects the quarterback from dying. 
right? It's the quarterback's blind side. Quarterback can't see what's coming at him. And so they pay some guy a lot of money to make sure nobody hits the number one big player on the team, right? And so they watch him. And out of, I read that in an article. I didn't know if it was true or not. So I went to the Rams website and I looked out of their 53 players and Andrew Whitworth is the fourth highest played player on the team. Guess who he is? Right? He's their lineman. He's their left tackle. His job is to protect the quarterback's blind side. And guess what? He is built completely different than any other person on the team. Both physically and mentally, he has a different mindset than anybody else on the team. And you can look back to when the coaches started figuring out how important that position is. They actually did a study on what that person needed to do and what his mentality needed to be. And they looked for very, very specific traits in these, in these positions. And there's nobody else on that team that can do what that left tackle can do. Not the quarterback, not a running back, not even a wide receiver, right? He doesn't spend a lot of time dancing when he blocks somebody, right? He doesn't do block dances. Like I say, nobody wants to interview him because nobody cares about the linemen. But his job is one of the most important jobs on the team. When he does his job well, other players on the team go to the Hall of Fame. When he does his job well, Others get elevated. Others go to the Hall of Fame. If you look at some of the least quarterback, least sacked quarterback of all times, even if you don't watch football, you've heard the name Peyton Manning. You've heard the name Dan Marino. You've heard the name Drew Brees. All of these guys, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and all of them stood behind some of the best offensive lines in football. Right? When those guys did their job, others went to the Hall of Fame. Now, you might feel that your role isn't that significant. You might feel it doesn't really fit into the bigger picture. You might think that you don't have much to offer to the church, right? And you're struggling with the significance of your job. Man, you are wrong. <laughs> I don't know if I said it right. You are wrong. The church needs you. And if you don't believe me, ask the youth. They saw Tim and I trying to figure out Wi-Fi for 45 minutes this morning, right? That is not our gifting. We're not sure how that works, but we, did we ever get it to work? We did not get it to work, Right? Hey, and I know that, especially those these people that are like 20 years old, like, how do you know how to use Wi-Fi? We don't. I don't know. We just don't know how to use it, right? We need you. Everyone has been designed by God to play the exact role his team and his body and his church needs. You have a skill. You have an ability. God has gifted you to help the church. Your role is super important to the overall body. Your role is extremely important to everybody sitting in this room right now. You have an extremely important job. And I love how Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman, they ended their book, Rediscover Church. We have some out on the table. They're free. Take them. Great books. But they end the book with this. The body, and they're referring to the church. The body doesn't function without you. And you need the body of Christ. Other Christians need you more than you realize. And one day you'll understand how much you need them too. You have an extremely important role, right? That is the truth number one that Paul tells them. You are important to the body. And then second, Paul encourages us to trust that the body is dependent upon your differences. That, that is how God designed the church, that we would be different, that we wouldn't be the same, and the body is dependent on you. In verses four and five, it says this, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. God intentionally made us different. 
right? The difference in us are good. God planned out and he designed each of us to be different, to be unique, to have different capabilities. These distinctions among all of us is exactly what the body needs, right? It needs these distinctions. God has placed you in a family and given you a set of gifts that makes you unique. Nobody else in here has the gifts that you have. Nobody else in here has the experiences that you have. Nobody else in here can do the things that you can do as well as God planned you to do them. You are the only ones that can do them. And when you act and when you participate, when you play with the team, the whole church benefits. We don't benefit when you're on the sidelines. We don't benefit when you're spectators. We benefit as a church when you participate in the body. Not only do we need you, we are depending on you. We are counting on you to do your job. And in his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul breaks it down and makes this importance of the differences even more clear. He writes this in 1 Corinthians. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We are one of those parts that make up the one body, and the body depends on you. In 2002, church, we are in playoff season, so we got a lot of football illustrations here, right? But in 2002, the number one overall draft pick in the NFL for the Houston Texans, right? They could have picked any, anybody they wanted. They were an expansion team. They could have picked anybody they wanted. They chose David Carr as their franchise quarterback. They picked this guy. They said, this is the guy I want. Anybody they wanted, skill player, they've got him, and then they failed to put an offensive line around him. His first year, Carr was sacked 76 times, right? Just for a reference, the high last year was 50 times, and the high this year was 51 times. In one year, he was sacked 76 times. He set a league record that still stands today. Okay, now let me explain this to you if you don't know what sack means. Some guy that's about 250 pounds, all muscle, has trained the last 20 years to hurt you. Right? That's, that's his whole mission in life is to hit the little guy with the ball. 76 times this guy accomplished that mission on car. But get this, in 2003, he didn't play the whole season. Can't imagine injuries and everything else. He only played about two-thirds of the season. He got sacked 15 times. In 2004, Carr started all 16 games and was sacked a league-leading 49 times. The following year, in 2005, Carr was sacked another league-leading 68 times. Guy needs to find a new job. In 2006, he was sacked another 41 times before he was traded to another team. Three of the five years that he played on the Texans, he led the NFL in sacks. In his short career, he suffered injuries to his knee, to his foot, to his ankle, to his shoulder, to his back, and to his head. Right after those years in in Houston, he became a backup quarterback, and he soon retired from the NFL. In his defense, he did win a Super Bowl with the Giants as a backup quarterback. But listen, David Carr never matured into the player that people thought he would be. He never hit that, that... peak performance. This was one of the best players. He had the most prospects. People spent tons of money 
evaluated him, and they said, this is the guy that is going to be the best in the NFL. And people give all sorts of reasons for why he didn't achieve what they thought he would. There's a whole bunch of reasons out there. But I, there's an opposing team scout, and one of his write-ups on Carr, I think he saw something. This was after Carr's first season, and he's being scouted by other teams for their defenses. And in his scouting report, this scout wrote this of David Carr. Carr has the tools to be a great quarterback in the league, but they have to get that line straightened out. Right? One year in the league, they said, man, this guy is good, but nothing's going to happen until they fix that line. Carr was dependent upon that offensive line. Carr needed that line to do their job because they were a team, and just like the church, we belong to one another. Right? We depend on one another's differences to accomplish the task that God has given us as a church. Right? We need each other to fully share the love of Christ with the world. We need each other to fully disciple those in the church. There's not just one person in this church who disciples everybody. We do that with our skills and with our abilities. We disciple each other. We need everybody. We depend on each other so that we can use our gifts in the way that God intended us to use our gifts. Right, so the, the first truth is that you're important to the body. And the second truth that Paul shares with us is that the body depends on you. So it's one thing to be important. It's another thing to be dependent upon. So you're important to the body, and the body depends on you. And then finally, in this last part of the passage, Paul encourages us to join the body in service, to join the body in ministry. If Paul wanted to be direct, he would be saying, do your job. Right? Do your job. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. You do your job. God made you for the church. Right? And he designed you for a ministry. And he made that church for your ministry so you have a place to serve. That you would see that his, his will is good, acceptable, and perfect. That you would have a place to worship and serve. And as we read verses 6 to 8, the diversity of gifts that God has given the church, they should encourage you. Right? As we read these things, we say, hey, there's all these people that are helping. I don't have to do everything myself. There's other people out there that are important, and there's other people out there I can depend on. So I don't have to worry about that. I could do what God has given me, the gifts, the experience, the personality, the heart to do. Every member has a place in the body of Christ and a ministry to perform. Right, let's read this, starting in verse 6. Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to you, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Right, remember the four. This takes us back to the salvation this takes us back to what god has done for us the gospel when we understand the gospel does not produce spectators right when the gospels come in and changed our lives we can't handle sitting on the sidelines right the gospel mobilizes the church it mobilizes those who believe that jesus is our savior right and we act together we are unified because of who he is and then we act out of worship to make a difference for others as God has made a difference for us right somebody once said we're just a bunch of beggars telling others where to get bread 
That is what we're doing when we understand the gospel. We're like, wow, like this changes our eternity. This changes our life. I want you and you and you to know those things. I want to tell you about Jesus. We, we can't just sit on the sidelines and literally say, oh, to hell with you. Man, if we understand the gospel and the love of Christ, we can't do that. At Calvary Church, I, this is one of the things that encourages me and grabs my heart. At Calvary Church, we have an amazing amount of people doing things here. We have an amazing amount of people serving the body. We have Lisa and Sandy that are faithfully teaching our children every Sunday at 9 in the morning. They don't miss a Sunday. If there's one thing I count on Sunday, it's to see Sandy and Ms. Lisa teaching our children at 9 o'clock. Dina is ministering to our kids. I think she's in there teaching right now at the 1030 service. The Sanchez's are teaching children during the 1030 service. Uh, Jerry and Linda and Doris, they're maintaining accountability of our finances. They take time to make sure that our finances are legit, right? That when you give to the church, that doesn't mean I'm going to Hawaii next week, right? When you give to the church, we have people making sure that we are doing ministry, that we are making God's glory known in our community. Let me just tell you something else. This is not, um, we're going to go a little bit long. Uh, I had the opportunity on Friday, and I went with one of our deacons to deliver your end of your giving check to the maternity home. It was amazing. Uh, the, the, the executive director and the house mom were there and we gave them the check of the finances that you guys collected to pay for a mother to be cared for and educated for her entire pregnancy there. I wish I could have had you guys there. I wish you could have seen the joy in their hearts. I wish you guys could have seen how you represented Jesus to that mom and to that, that group at that time. So thank you guys so, so much. Um, it, was a, it was just an amazing time. Is Rick with the nursery? Rick was crying all over the place. It was just an incredible, uh, just joyous time to be Jesus' hands and feet uh, during that time. Right, we have Tito who visits people and calls on people and checks on people. We have Chris who teaches adults on Sunday mornings. Linda, she serves in the nursery. She teaches women's Sunday school. Eric, he makes coffee. Every morning he makes coffee. I've actually seen Eric throw out a batch of coffee because he said it didn't taste good. I didn't know churches did that. I've been to enough churches, I gotta tell you. We are not known for our coffee. Patty and Joe and Jerry and Linda, they're regularly greeting people at our doors when they come in. Sue is visiting people in, in prisons. Beth and Sarah are caring for our youth. The Reeves and the Torados, not only are they deacons, but they're serving in the nursery. They paint walls. Just last week, Rick is walking the roof with me, looking at things. Right? Donnie's back there. He's doing all this video stuff. I don't even know what he does, but he, does, he makes magic happen. Somehow I talk here and it shows up on TV. Alex is doing all this sound stuff. Max is playing the guitar. You guys are do not even know how grateful you are that I am not playing the guitar. You guys should thank Max, because if he gets sick, I'm up. <laughs> I've been practicing. There are, are so, so many more people that I could talk about. But church, here's the truth. Man, there's more ministry to do. Right? There's so much more ministry to do that we need you. That we need you. And here is the good news. Right, just stay with me. This is the good news. This is one of the things that excites me as a pastor. Recently, a Gallup survey found that only 10% of church members are active in any kind of ministry. 50% of church members have no interest in serving at all. 
And 40% of church members have an interest in serving. And when we look at our church and we look at our numbers, guess what? That's where we fall. Right? That meets where we fall as a church. And actually when I see those things, I get excited. Right? This is good news to me. This is awesome. I want you to just, just dream with me for just a second. Right? If we took that 10% of people that are faithfully and actively serving and we paired them up with the 40% of people that have an interest in serving, we would have 50% of our people serving God and using their God-given spiritual gifts for the good of the church and our community. I want you just to stop for a minute and think about that. Right? If we go from 10 to 50%, that's a 400% increase in our ministry capability. A 400% if we just got half the people in the church serving. That's super doable. Right? That should be easy. We should be saying, we, we could do that. Almost 25 years ago, a pastor wrote this. A pastor in California. He said, if we can ever awaken and unleash the massive talent, resources, creativity, and energy lying dormant in the typical local church, Christianity will explode with growth at an unprecedented rate. If we just go from 10 to 50%, four, 400% increase. How many of you guys would take that in your retirement accounts? Right, that's something we would jump on. That's something we would do. Right? If this sleeping giant called the church, right? if this sleeping giant called Calvary Church began to show unprecedented power and effectiveness in ministry because scores of church spectators became players. Scores of church spectators sitting online, sitting on a bench, say, you know what? I can do this. Right? Oh, there is, there is a place for me. Imagine. Imagine what we could do. Four, I, I just told you, I was just crying. I wasn't crying. Rick was crying. Of this celebration, right? And this joy and this ministry we got to do. Times that by 400. Gosh, man, there is so much ministry that we could be doing as the church. There is, this is not impossible. This should be easy. Right? This is something, oh, we, we can do this. Gosh, let me tell you, man, we, we need you. And there is something that you can do to offer the Calvary Church that nobody else can. Man, you, you are unique and God designed it that way and the church needs you. Right? That is the final truth that we're looking at this. The church needs you. The church is counting on you. You can contribute something that nobody else can. That nobody else can. Get off the sidelines, right? Join the ministry of Calvary Church, right? And, and if you're watching online, don't, I don't care about Calvary. Wherever your local church is, right? Join that local body of believers. Join them. They're counting on you. The body is counting on you. God puts you there for a reason. Imagine, right? Calvary Church. Imagine if your home church, if you're watching online, your local church, imagine what would happen if that sleeping giant, man, woke up, started making disciples in their community, started telling people about Jesus, started doing the ministry that God designed the church for. Nothing, nothing would stop us. Nothing would get in the way. The gates of hell won't prevail against you. Somebody said that. Somebody said that who, who can't lie. Right? We could be that force here in church. We could be on mission. 
right? And maybe you're here and you've never joined the Big C Church, right? Maybe you've never, when I started explaining the whole salvation piece, you never even started. You never even put your faith in God. You've never given your life to Christ. Well, he died for you. Right? And I, I want to tell you that there's a, a place in the body of Christ for you. Right? That Jesus died for you, right? Was ready for you to become part of the church, ready to use you. And I would just encourage you to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. That you would just begin worshiping him. That you would accept his offer of salvation. Like, let's just start there first. Before we start worrying about the other things, let's just recognize God for who he is, our, our savior. And we just recognize that he died for us and that he loves us. And I, I, pr- I promise you, if you do that, you'll find that place for you. God will use you in ways you don't even know. And some of you may have given your life to Christ, but you never committed to a local body of believers. Right? You're like, oh, I just helped the big church. I don't care about the little church. Right? I don't have time to, to do the little C. Or, or maybe you're going to several different churches. Right? You say, I, I don't need to commit to the little C. I'm just going to go to all these little churches. I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to let them depend on me. I'm not going to depend on them. I'm just going to go and just be a free agent of churches. That's not how, how Christ designed you. Right? There's a, a church that needs you, that is depending on you. I want to encourage you to just join that church. Right? Be a part of the body. Commit. Right? You're important to that body. Right? The body is the depending on you. Go, serve. And if you would like to learn more about Calvary Church, if you're like, hey, you know what, I want to commit to that. Next week at 9 o'clock, we're doing a Discovering Calvary. We have a Discovering Calvary Church where we talk about the ministry of church. We talk about what we believe and how we're ran. It's at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I would love for you to be a part of it. It's four Sundays. Connection card, fill it out. Say, hey, I want to know more about Discovering Calvary, and I'll contact you this week. So um, we would love to have you. We do it about once a, a, a trimester. So if that's something you'd be interested in, you want to learn more about Calvary Church, do it. If you want to see how you can serve week three, we, or week four, we talk about the different ministries and how people can get plugged in and serve as we make disciples in our community. But see, there's others of you have been part of this body for a long time, and, and for whatever reason, you've just sidelined yourself. Right? I'm not going to get into if it's good or bad reasons. That doesn't matter to me. But if God's got your heart right now, right, he's put you on this team for some reason. He has designed you and shaped you to fit the needs of this church. And I'm 100% certain he did not design you to be a spectator. Right? He designed you to be a part of the body because God would not prevent you from the joy of worship and the joy of ministering and the joy of serving and the joy of seeing his good and acceptable and perfect will. He did not design you to sit there and watch. And if you're ready to join Calvary Church in service, right, to worship with us as we serve, just fill out that connection card it's in front of you. You can use the QR code. I think we got it up behind me or on the screen. Yep, you can just click on that. If you're at the church, we've got connection cards in front of you. You can just pull that out. Man, and just fill it out. Like, hey, I want to I serve. And listen, you can, you can pick where you serve, right? That's why God gave you a heart. I don't know your hearts as well as God does. You can say, hey, I want to serve in children's. We could use you. Hey, I want to serve in youth. We can use you. Hey, I want to serve on a tech team. Oh, we don't even have a tech team, but we'll form one up really soon, right? Hey, I can help you figure out a Wi-Fi password, whatever I need to do. Man, we, can, we could use that. Maybe you want to help with facilities. I don't know if you guys know this, but before COVID, we had a guy who came to the church every Monday from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m., 10 hours every Monday. He would show up at the church and say, what do you need done? 
Man, he laid a lot of the floors in the kids' room. He's painted all the downstairs. He changed windows. He fixed toilets. He fixed faucets. He only did facilities management. And for a year, 10 hours a week, we used every second of his time. Actually, like nine hours because we'd go to lunch together. <laughs> right? We used every second of his time. Right? So maybe it's facilities. And you can write that on there. Maybe it's missions. Right? Maybe you say, hey, I just got a passion. I want to help with missions. How can I help with missions? Right? We got missionaries out there that we support. We got missions and ministries that we support. And we could use people. Contact them. Let them know. Man, the money that we give to missions is minor compared to your prayers and your support to the missions. Right? And if you're out on the field, man, it's one thing to get a check. It's another thing to get a believer calling you and say, man, I'm praying for you. How can we pray for you specifically? How can we be partner in this ministry that God has you doing? So if you want to help with missions, let me know. Just fill out that connection card. Put, hey, I want to, I want to help with this. Or I already told you, facilities. Greeters, we can always use greeters. Um, we, we, I think the goal is to have like five greeters out there every Sunday. Man, we could use your help if you want to greet. The church needs you, and God has designed a place for you. God has designed a specific place for you to not only strengthen the church, not only minister to our community, but to make his glory known to the ends of the earth. God has designed a place for you in your local church. And church, I just want to encourage you to do it today that you would join us in ministry right, as Calvary Church makes disciples of Jesus Christ in our community. The church needs you. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so, we are so grateful for the church. We're so grateful for our brothers and sisters and we're so uh, grateful for the opportunity to share your glory with others, to minister to others, to be your hands and feet in a world that is suffering, in a world that is lost. Lord, we just pray that you would just grab our hearts and that we would love those around us and those in our community as much as you do. As much as you have loved us, we pray we would be able to pour that out through our ministry and show other people the, the immeasurable love and grace God. Church, we thank you for this community. We thank you uh, for these people. We thank you for your generosity to this church and how we were able to just share your grace with our community. Lord, we pray that everything that we would do would just point to you. We pray that everything we do would give you glory. We pray that as people see this church, they wouldn't see Kendrick, they wouldn't see Tim, they wouldn't see Oscar, they wouldn't see the deacons. Lord, we pray these people would just see you. And these people would be drawn to you and that this community would love you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's precious and holy name of Jesus we ask all of these things. Amen.